We started a new series last week called, does anybody remember, The Right Price? Weren't sure if we were going to do The Price is Right, and uh, you know, as a title, because, you know, for me, the old Price is Right was, you know, always ended with, have your pet spayed and neutered, and I thought, I don't know that that's what I want to travel through this whole series, you know, but really when we talk about the right price or the price is right, we're talking about what the Bible has to say about true honor, and honor is not always defined or explained or or sometimes it's just something pushed on people like you need to honor this, uh, you need to honor that, or we just are not going to honor this or that. And so we're talking about what true honor is, and this idea about true honor or what the Bible has to say about honor is technically the way the kingdom of God works, it, it, or is a real integrated part of the kingdom of God. In heaven, if you were there, there's a huge system of honor, and that huge system of honor does not just exist in heaven. It is to exist on the earth, and it is to exist in the church or among believers. And so when we don't know honor or what honor is, it can affect our life. And maybe in ways we don't know. When we do know what honor is, it can affect our lives in tremendous, tremendous ways. Are you with me? So if you will... Uh, open your Bible to Romans, the 13th chapter, and I'm going to s- explain a little bit about honor and about the game show, The Price is Right, because that game show actually would help us if we remember the rules of the game show or the object of the game show, because when people think of honor, you know, um, I don't know if it always clicks, You know, sometimes we think, respect your elders, that's honor. But really, when we talk about a biblical honor, we're talking about a value that is already put on something, and then when you know what that value is, uh, it's how you treat it. It's how you respond to it. That would show honor. And so we need to realize that honor, when in the Bible, is full of scriptures about honor and uh, dishonor and different things like that. So if you think of honor, think of value. Think of a price, whether you know what it is or not. The big thing about true Bible honor is that the definitions or the value of things are already written in the Word of God, but that doesn't mean people know the value. And if we don't know the value, we could put the wrong honor on something. Meaning, I may think of God as just whoever, whatever, so I'm kind of eh about God. What I'm doing then is seeing little value in him. So then my honor will be little to him. And so we need to realize that God has already ascribed a value to a number, lots of things. And that doesn't mean we always know them as a human. And sometimes because of the world we live in, 
people will tell you and, and kind of put a high value on something, and then there's a lot of honor that goes there, and the value is wrong on that thing. Like, we value athletes like they know everything about politics, sex, and current affairs, and everything going on, especially the higher ones. So people put a high value on them, and I'm not saying they don't have a value. But if we put the value too high, then what we do is if we start exalting their value, and therefore everything connected, their ideas, to a real high place, and that value is higher than where God wants it, we'll start honoring that above God's things. And that is the real way that honor works. But, but understand this, this is not to bash an athlete. I mean, I believe they have gifts from God, abilities, talents. I mean, I can't run fast. I mean, not even in my dreams. You know, like when I was little and you were sick or something, and all of a sudden it seemed like you had to get out of the way and try and run, and I couldn't run. Anybody ever had a dream like that? Okay, people are shaking their head, yeah. I mean, I was even slow in my dreams. So to be able to watch an athlete do something that is phenomenal, uh, beyond natural skill and ability, and you can dream of it, but you can't do it yourself, and the majority of the population can't do that, you have to know that there, there's an ability there that's just not of themselves. And it is for our entertainment. That doesn't mean they don't have a, a value. It's just we need to be careful how we put the value. And, and how high up it goes. See, if we don't know other things of value, uh, and that's the highest thing of value we know, well, it's up there, and it might even be in the right place, but we don't know other values, so they get pushed down. You get what I'm saying? And so we're going to talk about this true honor and recognizing and figuring out how to know the right price of something, like the game show, the idea of that game show, The Price is Right, is uh, they bring out a product and you try to, as the contestant, figure out uh, the, its value. The idea is get as close as you can without going over. And one time I saw like a little documentary, a little video thing of a guy who had been to I don't know how many filmings of The Price is Right. And then he got picked. Well, this guy, um, my opinion, is a nut. Okay? But it worked for him. So this guy scoured the internet for all the prices of this stuff. All the cars they give, all the, like, toasters, and, like, he just memorized these things. And he'd go thinking, one day I'm going to get picked. One day I'm going to get picked. And he got picked. And, he, and then they interview him after, you know, on this. And he's, like, nailing stuff. I mean, like, exact. Or within a, you know how, like, if you're within a dollar or whatever or something or within a certain thing, it bells ring or whatever and you get extra money and he acts all surprised and they're all it's you and 
But he said after, I had just studied to get all these down, and he even showed his sheets. And he knew the value before he went in so he could guess. How many of you know in our own lives, if we don't know the value of something, we can only guess? But when we know it, we don't guess, we go, that's this amount. And isn't it true in life that um, the more expensive something is, the more you honor it, the more you reverence it, the more you treat it a certain way? I mean, anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, if you get some million-dollar vase in your house, you're going to treat it different than the empty pickle jar you have. I hope. You know, if, if somebody drops it, no big deal. You don't have an insurance policy on that pickle jar. Because there's not so much of an inherent value, so you don't honor or respect it or treat it with like, whoa. And so we're going to look at this, and we'll turn here if you're not there, Romans, the 13th chapter, and we're going to talk about honor. And uh, we're going to get into all different kinds of honor, how to increase honor, how to adjust areas of our life where we don't give too much honor to something, but we do want to give honor. Are you with me? Romans, the 13th chapter, we're going to read the 7th verse. And this is kind of our kickoff verse. It says, render, therefore, to all their due. In other words, you render or give what is owed. And with honor, with true honor, there is something owed. Any biblical honor demands a payment or a giving toward that honorable thing. Real simple, God is the highest, most valuable, and his word is connected. So how I treat him shows how I value him, how I respond to him, and how I respond is my honor, but it's based on a value that is ascribed. Now understand this, I can ascribe a value, but God ascribes his own value to things. Are you with me? So right here in Romans uh, 13.7, it says, Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Custom to whom custom or different fees and he said, fear to whom fear, or real respect. And then it goes on to say, honor to whom honor is due. So you could read it or think like this when you read about give honor to whom honor is due. Give value to whom has value. Or give a correct value to the value that is ascribed. And these are huge, huge things about honor. And so we're going to look at and pick up kind of where we left off last week about the importance of honoring, above all, God in his word. God in the Bible. Whether I or anybody in the world ascribes a tremendous value to the Bible, God's already put it there. It's already massive. 
and, and I, I could sit if I was listening and not preaching, and maybe I got this on the internet, and, uh, and this guy, me, and me listening, that's a picture. But uh, I hear that it, the highest value of anything is the Word of God. Now, we know, we read a verse last week, how that the, uh, one of the guys in the Bible said he rejoiced at the Word of God like one who found a huge, massive treasure. In other words, he saw the value. And he went, whoa. And I could say that the value of the Word of God is above everything period. And I could hear it as a different person online and go, whatever. So you understand if I go, whatever, I, even though there is an ascribed value, I am now not valuing it. So you could say I'm dishonoring it from a heart level. But if another person is online and I make that statement and they say, wow, I didn't know that. But I see that now. And all of a sudden they say it is above everything. Then you know what they're doing? They're starting to honor his word at the correct level that God has already ascribed it to. God and his word are equal. We can't know God by experience. We have to know God first by his written word. That is a huge, huge thing. So give honor to whom honor is due. If you will, turn to Matthew, the 8th chapter. We looked at this. We're going to look at it again and move on. Matthew, the 8th chapter. If we will do this as people, anybody, I don't care if it's a person who hates God in the world, if they will make this adjustment, it will open them to miracles. It will open their life to divine intervention. It doesn't matter who it is, if people can get this part down, their life will be revolutionized. Now understand this concerning honor. If you will read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we'll look at the ministry of Jesus and how people responded to him, you will see, and we're going to look at a couple of things, people that acted in honor, meaning knowing the value of something, received tremendous things. Because sometimes people think, well, it's God who's withholding something from me. I'm waiting on God to do something. And that is not really the truth many times. Often you see when people came to Jesus, uh, that when they came with honor, they received things. When they came with dishonor, it actually held them back. It wasn't that God was not offering, that God was not giving. It's just their heart was closed. They didn't see the correct value. And in not seeing the correct value, I mean, how many people tried to kill Jesus in his earthly ministry? How many people, Judas sold him out for money. He counted that silver as worth more than Jesus' life. He, he didn't realize, he, he was really listening to a lie to the core, Satan. Well, we can read that though. And then he took and he exchanged the value of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords 
who is and was and will be for some silver pieces. Whoa. He, he so dishonored him. He brought, and he walked with him, and he saw miracles, and he saw him walk on water, and he saw this, and then he tweaked the value of the Lord and went, because he had been running down this road of wanting money. God's not opposed to money. He didn't care if you have all kinds of it. But covetousness is what God is opposed to. You can be poor or rich and have, be covetous. And he was coveting and wanting more money. And what's so wild is the Lord had told all the disciples, hey guys, all of you gave up for me. Anybody who does that will receive a hundredfold back in this life. And he shortened, he short-sailed the Lord. Uh, just this many pieces of silver when there was already a promise for something way bigger. But it was an issue of honor and value and when he brought that value down to those coins, he traded out the Lord for that. That's a huge thing. It was such a critical error in his thinking of value and honor that after the Lord died and then Judas hung himself, it says, the Bible said it was better, it would have been better that that guy was never born. Whoa. All an issue of honor. All an issue of seeing or not seeing the correct value. How many times did people want to kill the Lord? Dishonor and disvaluing things kind of blinds people. Because who could sit there one day, you know, I'm, you know, we're going to go to Jesus' meeting and we're sitting there at Jesus' meeting and kind of getting an attitude ourselves about this Jesus. Who does he think he is? We're going to trap this guy. When he does a miracle in front of us, we're going to get him. Who goes to a meeting knowing that cripples are going to be healed and you want to trap that man? And you want to tell him, you can't do that on the Sabbath. It, there's a value issue here and people were watching him do things and they were not grasping the value because they had their own motive and their own agenda that's why it's so important to look at God's value see his value honor that value respect that value act like that is the value Judas didn't do that. A lot of those guys didn't, but a lot of them did. A lot of them did. Some didn't, but there was a group of them that did. So we want to look at some of those right now. Turn to Matthew 8 if you're not there. 8. And uh, this is a man who really was not religious, not a covenant person. And uh, he had... Um, his education, you could say, was not churchy. It wasn't religious education. He, he didn't know a lot of uh, Bible verses or whatever. He wasn't even part of the covenant of God. But some principles he had in his own life, 
were things that made him a lightning rod for the power of God to strike. I mean in a good way. Don't think just because we go to church that we are connecting at this place. But if we can see this, we should be able to connect at this place. We, we shouldn't hang our hat on the fact, well, I'm a Christian. That is great. But some inward motives, if we can work on them, oh my. Talking about getting answers to prayer. Talking about walking in the miraculous. Talk about walking in the goodness of God. In the land of the living. Notice this right here in Matthew 8. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. There's a centurion who uh, his servant needs to be healed. And uh, this centurion is not a Jew. He's not of the covenant. He's actually a Roman. And uh, so he's not religious. He, he, he starts begging the Lord by, you know, to come to his house and heal this servant. And uh, then the Lord said, I will come and I will heal your servant. Man, what a day. Here it is. I have obtained the miracle that I need. The Lord's going to do something. But notice this. The centurion, verse 8 of the 8th chapter of Matthew answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy. Now remember, worthy, worth, value. He said, I'm not worthy. In other words, I'm not worth. And he's talking about value. And remember, honor has to do with value. He said, I'm not worthy or worth that you should come under my roof you know, it's not because I didn't make my bed this morning or I still have the dishes in the sink and my house is a little bit of mess or, you know, I didn't vacuum or, or whatever it is, so I'm not worthy that you should come right now. It was way beyond that. It was a worth. It was an ascribing of value. He said, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be made whole. Now, understand, this guy, and we said this before, was not devaluing himself. He wasn't saying, I'm just the scum of the earth. No, he knew, and we're going to see it in a minute, he knew he had some rank in the earth. He knew he had some privilege in the earth by his position. He knew he had people that would respond and jump at his command. So it wasn't that he wasn't worth anything. It wasn't that he didn't have any personal value that he saw in himself. He didn't think, well, I'm just the scum of the earth, and now if you guys are really going to get something from God, that's how you're going to have to think. No, what it was was he saw his value and then saw the value of the Lord and knew that a person and their word is connected. So he, he realized, I have some rank, and Romans had rank and rule over Jews. All of them. If you had Roman birthright, 
Man, you could do anything to a Jew and it was a big deal. You do anything to a Roman, another story. But he ascribed the correct value to the Lord and he said, he said, I'm not worth. Understand, that didn't mean he didn't have value. It didn't mean he didn't even have a big value on the earth. I mean, if you're the president or a sheik or something or somebody who is the head person, let's say, of Saudi Arabia, if you were going to approach the Lord, you couldn't approach him and say, I'm a king, you're a king, I'm at the same level as you. You would have to say, I'm not worthy. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have worth. As a matter of fact, he could probably blow up his own country. He's got so much position and authority, but when it comes to the Lord, we have to measure his worth at woe. I mean, doesn't matter who he's in the room with, there's no comparison. And this man did this. He said, verse 9, For I also am a man under authority. In other words, I recognize your authority. I'm a person of authority. I know how authority works. He said, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he, he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Who does it? The subjects. The things that are subject to him. This man, by his observation and by his experience, was realizing by this time in Jesus' ministry, this guy is a master over demons. He's a master over sickness and disease. And the way he does it is he just gives words and he can just command because remember at the beginning they said, wow, this is so wild. This guy just commands demons and they leave. He commands trees and they die. That means he's the highest, everything else is subject. And he said, the things under me have to obey. These things are under you. I believe that. He honored the Lord. He valued that. And so he said, you can just say, go, like I say to this one, go and he goes and come and he comes. And to my servant, do this and he does it. Verse 13 said, then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed. Notice belief is interconnected to how we value or how we honor the Lord. How do I honor him? Now, it's not just information alone that shows my honor. It's how I act, right? I mean, if there's a super expensive car, you know, I saw a video with this guy racing this $3.5 million car. And this other guy, they raced on motorcycles and they turned around and they were about to uh, do this take film and uh, he had raced this motorcycle, and the guy on the motorcycle swung around to the camera angle and backed his motorcycle, and it looked like he was going to hit that $3.5 million car, and the guy yelled at him. 
And then the other guy in the car was like, he's a bus length away. And he wasn't. And he was giving him a hard time how he was treating this one guy going, watch it. And he said, I want to be safe. This is a $3.5 million car that he's borrowing for this video. And he's treating it like, whoa. Now, if that was a 1972 Peno that was all rusted out, he wouldn't have said a word. But when we truly see the value, it's how we respond. Now, you understand this. God already has a beyond measure ascribed value no matter how we see his value. Doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter, but it doesn't matter if my opinion is low. That doesn't change the opinion or the ascribed value. And so we realize here, like in First Peter, or Luke, I'm sorry, Luke's Gospel, the fifth chapter, and I'm just going to, without going there, uh, there was a time when Jesus was with his disciples and he said, hey, launch me out into the deep so I can preach the word of God. And um, he goes and preaches the word of God. People want to hear the word. People knew there was value in the word. They maybe didn't know how much at this time, but as Jesus went on, they started realizing how important the word of God was. And so Jesus uh, commanded the disciples, he said, launch me out into the deep uh, or launch us out a little bit so I can preach. And then as soon as he got done, he said to Peter, he said, now launch out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. You know what's so wild is Peter seemed to bristle at first. He said, Lord, I've toiled all night. We fished all night. And it seemed like he got his, his thinking got invaded or he grabbed his thoughts and went, wait a minute. This is the Lord speaking here. He probably had seen things like this centurion stuff before. And he went, wait a minute. Nevertheless, at your word. In other words, he went, I see the value. This is you talking. I will obey and let down my net. Every time somebody will exalt his word and respond to it, you will see miracles connected. You will see them again and again. How do I treat his word? And when he treated the word this way, and you know what's so wild? If you'll read that story, Jesus said this, let down your nets for a catch. But Peter said, no, Lord, you know, I've toiled all night. And then he said, wait a minute. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Notice he said, let down your nets. And he said, I'll let down my net. It said then when he had let down his net, he caught a huge catch. But isn't it interesting? He didn't really obey his word fully. But to the degree he began to honor it, man, God loaded him down. Some people say, well, maybe it wasn't God's will for him to get all those fish and really have that in his life. 
No, it was God's will to do good. But he just said, I'll, I've been toiling all night. I know how to do this. I'll let down one. Then he had to signal for the partners, his other partners and other boats to come and help. What if he had let down more nets? What if he had fully honored God and valued his words? Because if he would have valued his words, he would have gone, if Jesus told me to let down nets, there is a real reason behind this. There is a massive reason behind. He's not going to have me get out ten nets to fill one. He's going to tell me, and he's not going to waste my time by saying, let down all your nets, or let down your nets, when I've been toiling all night, I'll let down one net. No, the Lord's full intention was to fill his nets. But it, there's an element of honor and esteem of that word that was spoken. Did he really value that word that was spoken? How many little things, if we're not careful, could have huge, tremendous blessing and implication in a good way, but if we don't ascribe like a big value to those words, we might think, well, it's just a net. It's just a net. It's just one of those things. You know, if I don't put it out there, I'm not going to have to mend it. I'm not going to have to clean it. I'm not going to have to rehang it. Because when the Lord called them to go launch out, they were mending the nets because just the work would tear them and cause problems. And they hadn't caught anything and they were still having to do that kind of work. So he might be thinking, okay, I'll let down one net, but if I don't let, let them all down, then I'm not going to have to have a big, long, drawn-out repair session. A hanging of the nets. Remember this, when God deals with you, it's just good. The Bible said He always leads us into triumph. He's just trying to work to get good into your life, but there is a manward side to miracles, and there's a Godward side to miracles. And he is endeavoring to do good. We just need to go up with the value of his dealings. Up with the value of him. Up with the value of his written word. N notice, and, and you could turn to Timothy, and we'll probably close with this verse, 1 Timothy. And, and I'm actually going to have you turn there, and then I'm going to pull one on you. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to go to Matthew 14 in my head. Most of us know the story of Peter who walked on the water to go to Jesus. There's another tremendous example of not God wanting him to fail, but as he regarded God's word as high, he said he had been around the Lord long enough now, and he said, if you just command me to come, I can walk on the water. Just give me a command. He was starting to know that God's word was faithful. And he was so regarding it, he was saying, you just give me a word like the centurion. He was starting to see the ascribed value that was already there, that now that he's been traveling with the Lord, he's like, oh, 
I, if I can get him, if I can find a promise, if I can get him to say something, I, I could just act on it. It's going to happen. I, I don't have to wait for it to happen. I have to step out on it and act. And, and the Lord said to him, come. C-O-M-E. Not too complex. Probably learned that with Dick and Jane. You know, first grade, kindergarten, whenever you get those. Maybe it's when you're one now. But back when I was in school, you learned, you know, a little sentence, the word come. That's not a real big word. But when it comes from the master, it's a massive word. There's an ascribed value to it. But how many people that day asked for a word, and they could have got words from all over the place, but when they got it from Jesus, a promise from Him, they knew if we can act on it. And so Peter knew. Think of the guts, the boldness of Peter. I got a word, I'm jumping out. Nothing under my feet, I'm about to walk on water. He so valued that word, he just jumped out on it, and it said, and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. He was cruising. Why? He valued the word. That meant he honored it. He knew if he could get a word from him, the words from him had value beyond measure. And he went, here I go. But the problem was, he started dishonoring, not valuing the word. How do I know that? Because he started valuing the power of a storm over the power of the word. Then he got in fear, the Bible said, and he began to sink and he was so close, he just called out to the Lord. He said, Lord, save me. And he was so close, the Lord just reached out and grabbed his hand. He was right there. But what had happened was he started honoring or valuing the power of a storm over the power of the Word of God. You know, the storm was there when he first started walking. It wasn't like he walked, you know, across this room and halfway there, all of a sudden this storm started coming. And he's like, well, what am I going to do? No, what happened was he just started uh, thinking the power of the storm is bigger than the power of the word that's caused me to do this so far. And then he started acting in fear and he began to sink. And you know what's so wild? Jesus didn't go, good job, you made it halfway. None of the other guys got out of the boat. We're going to give you a medal. You're going to get the Peter medal. We're going to, it's going to be given out every year for the person who dares to step out of the boat, no matter how far they go. Good job. High fives, everybody. High fives, high fives. Participation trophy. Oh, am I allowed to say that? Participation trophy. Come on, Peter. And he didn't do that. It, the Bible said he rebuked him. And you know what's so wild about the rebuke? He still loved him. He still cared about Peter immensely, but I think he was probably going, dude, you could have done this. And when he rebuked him, it's good to know what Peter, what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, if you would have been to more of my seminars, 
you would have succeeded. No, he had just been preaching all day and now they're in the ship and, you know, or the day before and he's been in all his seminars. If, if you would have prayed more in the Spirit, you, you would have got this. Well, they weren't Spirit-filled yet. He hadn't died and rose from the dead. You know, if everybody would have been just cheering you up along the way, you would have made it. If you would have just confessed the Word enough, you would have made it. He didn't say any of that. He just said, why did you doubt? Or why did you esteem the storm bigger than what I said? And Peter didn't say, I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. He just went, he didn't say nothing. He just went, because he knew he could do something about it. He, he knew but he was growing, just like us. So if we sink in the water, we just need to know this. Growing in honor of the word is a huge thing. Let's go look at this verse right here in Timothy, and we're going to close. First Timothy 5, talking about honoring the word or finding the true value of the word of God, how important it is. It says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy or worth double honor, or you could say, though he said be counted worth double value. Double honor, double value. First Timothy 5.17, he said, let the elders who rule well be counted or considered worth double honor or double value. Isn't it interesting? He said, that we would have to do something with our own opinion about the word, about leaders, about honor, because he said, you're going to have to do this. God's not going to do this for me. I'm going to have to consider things worth a certain value. How do I treat these things if... If something is worth value and then worth double value, what makes this uh, honor value what it is? Let's read on. Especially those who labor. So this takes work. It doesn't just accidentally happen. Especially those who labor in the Word and break down the doctrine. Not just read their Bible, but they're diligent to study, to know the truth. Isn't it interesting, the Scripture tells us that type of person is to be counted worth double value. And he said we would have to adjust our thinking to that because he said that in the context, he said let the elders who rule well be counted or we would use the word considered. In other words, you reason this out and realize the value. But what is it that makes them... Now, we'll, we'll break this down later. But what makes them worth this double value? Double value than others. The fact that they are laboring in 
the highest thing, the Word. And the truth of the Word. What have we been talking about? Is somebody can honor the Word of God? So all we're doing when we're honoring that person is ascribing correct value to this most important thing. That's why Paul, when he preached, he said, I didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom and certain kinds of high speech. But he saw the value in studying and breaking down the truth and knew what it would do if people would honor it correctly. And so here he is writing to these people and said, the person who will do this, you have to make some adjustments in your thinking. And esteem that value real high. Why? Because of the inherent value by which they are trafficking. Giving. Because what is the highest thing in life? The Word. You can't be saved without it. You can't know God without it. And the list goes on and on and on. And heaven and earth will pass away, but his words won't. This earth is held together by his word. And so when we ascribe that, then we're going to honor things that are connected to that. So when he said this, now you understand, a minister can do things that are uh, unworthy or dishonorable or not valuable. But he's telling us here, this is a thing that is extremely valuable. And because they labor in this, and they do it not just reading, but they break down doctrine. Why is this important? Because this is what gets into you. This is what gets into you. This is what the Bible said will build you up and give you an inheritance. So no wonder we count them worthy of double value. Why? Because, man, this is a protection, a valuable thing to my own life. So if that's the case, I'm going to have to think value. 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 